Yeah, just put your hand over your heart. All attention, all focus, all love goes to you, Lord Jesus. We pray for the holiness of this moment, of this, this gathering. I pray they would prophesy to the, to the seasons and to the years and to the generations to come out of this house and many others. We pray for the sanctity and the wholeness and the renewal of our city. We pray a blessing in the ability to heal, but to heal without glossing over things that need to be stirred up, exposed, and dealt with in our city, in our nations, and in our lives, in our places of influence, and in our families. We declare that this wilderness year For those that follow Jesus, it will be a defining mark into the realm of renewal. That the spirit of revival will be birthed out of this pain. Not because you're now ready, but because we are. I pray that you would make us ready. And we thank you for that little girl that is going to remind me time and time again through the years that she's got a voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I have a feeling we're going to have more of those little moments. Why don't you open your Bibles or your phones or whatever you use to Luke chapter 4. And I should get my laptop. Luke chapter 4, if you are visiting or new or wherever you're at in your journey, we just want to welcome you and say um, we're eventually going to be ready to welcome guests properly. (laughs) We used to have things like, you know, yeah, things you could fill out, take home, gifts. We even had gifts for you. I don't know where those are. We're digging those out. Oh, man, no, don't you even. Um, So so if if you're new... Um, we just invite you to keep, uh, keep engaging, keep coming back, and you can go to our website and find out how you can get connected with uh, life in our community. Our website is frontierchurch.us, and uh, we're just really thrilled for what's happening in this season. Uh, Luke chapter 4. Where's Joe? Joe here? Hey, Joe. Joe, Joe is the, the author of your coffee. You can give him credit for that. But Joe also has a plethora of hobbies, one of which is to figure out places to go hunting in Southern California. And he just got back from trying to find a place to go turkey hunting. And uh, we had a nice little chat when you got back last night. It was very nice. I, I've never really been hunting. Um, I'd like to think of myself as a hunter, and it's just not true. I've, I'm, my parents have been calling me a, a city slicker from basically from birth. I was born in the city of Chicago, but then grew up nowhere close to a city in North Carolina. But they've continued to declare that I was born to live in a city. I do like nature. just not very good in it. Um, but there is something in us. I think all of us, whoever you are, man, woman, child, that we desire to conquer something. 
there's, there's, there is kind of this, this desire to hunt, to pursue something and take it out. You know, it says of Jesus that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You know, Jesus went around looking for ways, hunting the ways of the enemy that were subversing his ways, of his father. And how, can, how could he continually wreak havoc on the gates of hell by bringing heaven to earth? And uh, this concept of idol hunting, it's idol hunting season. I'm going to give Michael credit for that one. Turn me on to these brothers, these Franciscan friars of the renewal in New York City. Uh, they have this podcast, and the, the title of one of the podcasts of late during Lent was, It's Idol Hunting Season. And uh, I just, I just kind of sat there with that reality of Lent. You know, I've given up many things for, for Lent over the years. Uh, maybe you're the same way. If you've grown up in that tradition of doing Lent, uh, I have kind of one of, my, one of my motivations is that our community would revisit Lent in a fresh way that isn't out of religion and isn't out of a heavy weight, but is out of this place where we annually revisit Jesus' 40-day wilderness experience to prepare for the resurrection where we realign with his ways and we, we make sure that we are exposing ourselves to all the ways that the world is lying to us. When you expose an idol, when you hunt an idol, what you are hunting are what are the lies that are holding your life hostage. Jesus is so passionate about exposing what is keeping you hostage. And the church, in its best day, has always been about making that a centerpiece. Christmas is not the center of our calendar. Easter is. And what prepares us for Easter is a 40-day preparation period where we hunt our idols, where we realign our hearts, where we aren't afraid to look at sin and we're not afraid to do this act of repentance and we show the world, starting with this little ashy cross on Ash Wednesday that sets us apart and says, I'm willing to look at my junk because all of him covers all of me and I'm still in this world to give it something of heaven and I can't do that without this conviction and posturing and dedication to becoming more like Christ. And I don't go into this season to just look up a bunch of junk and feel miserable and heavy and to give up chocolate. <laughs> I do it to take out liars. All right, that's good news. So Luke chapter 4. Most of that was just me trying to find my notes. You're going to get honest opinions today because I haven't slept. A little bit more than her. But it's okay. <laughs> so Luke, Luke chapter 4. And then I want, I want this. I, <clears throat> I think it was Andy Stanley said that when the story of COVID-19 is just a story we tell, make sure that it's a story worth telling. When the story of COVID-19 is just a story we tell our children, or our children's children, make sure it's a story worth telling. 
And the heart behind that is this. You can look into the wilderness. You can look at, uh, you can look at this, this whole thing that we're doing as a globe, as a corporate state of whatever this was. And we can ask ourselves, what perspective am I convinced that I have to take towards this? It's a decision to take a posture. You make a decision of how this will affect you. Now, there's so many things that come on that you didn't make a decision of. I mean, that was the, that was the, the uncertainty of COVID, is that you could do everything right, still get sick, and a loved one can die. But your perspective of how you have entered into this wilderness and how we enter into wildernesses, it's our decision of how we will enter them. Israel entered into the wilderness initially with some excitement and immediately what was exposed in them was there a complete lack of trust. And they start grumbling and complaining and ultimately they don't get to step into the fullness of what God has for them. Why? Because of idolatry. Because they weren't willing to worship with their entire hearts to fully press in and trust Yahweh. They went into the worship. What did Moses say over and over to Pharaoh? Let us go so that we may worship. It wasn't even so that we can get to a promised land that's better than here. So that we can have better jobs. So that we can have a better life for our family. Moses continually was, Pharaoh, let us go so that we can go into the wilderness and worship. The issue was worship. And we have that image of the golden calf. And we have all these other images throughout the wilderness. And it all goes back to will they worship in holiness and purity? And in Luke 4, Jesus enters the stage with this tension of the story of Scripture of is this really the Messiah? And he's baptized by the man John that came out of the wilderness. And as he's baptized, he comes up, and it says the Holy Spirit comes down and rests upon him like a dove, and then immediately leads him into the wilderness for 40 days. And he was hungry. And the enemy comes to tempt him. And what does he first tempt him with? He tempts him with his physical needs. He's hungry. Why don't you turn this into bread? He will always come after your physical needs first. What were your physical needs in the wilderness that got rocked? Your physical needs can be everything from hunger. It can be, it can be provision. It can be family. What's the physicality of this earth that got rocked this year? Because I, I don't even have time to list you all the things that got rocked in the physical for me. And somehow when Jesus sends his son, he goes, I want you to see that I see you in your physicality. Everything isn't just spiritual. I get the fact that you're hungry, that you're hurting, that you're, you literally don't know what to do with all these real physical entities. And Jesus comes in, and he's showing us that he enters in with us. But he's not like Israel. He doesn't hesitate. He keeps stepping forward. He trusts his father in the wilderness. So then he comes at him again. He goes, if you're the son of God. He questions who he was. If you're really God's son. 
How many of us are wondering, what's my purpose in life and what am I worth? And how has this rattled who you are as a human being and what your purpose really is? I've questioned it three to 30 times in the last year. When he takes you into the wilderness, the test is, will you come out the other side knowing who you are? Or will you numb with the lies of worshiping a false identity, a false idol? That's the temptation. The temptation isn't usually for us to worship terrible things. It's to numb our pain with good things that just aren't the ultimate thing. And we come out of the wilderness and we're, we still don't know who we are. And Jesus demonstrates for us. He enters in in full trust. He enters in knowing that his father knows that he's hungry. And that somehow when he depletes every ounce of his physicality, he's strengthened to be able to withstand temptation. The, the Holy Spirit leads him into a place where he empties him of every shred of physical ability to withstand the enemy. So that spiritually, he somehow is only able to depend on the Spirit of God for everything that he needs. And that is the place of ultimate strength that he can actually withhold the tempter. You realize that that was a setup that I, I still cannot imagine if God told me that I'm going to have the worst temptation of my life and I want you to feel absolutely horrible. It'd be like saying, I want you to just not sleep for 40 days with this newborn and then I'm going to let the devil come into your room and start talking to you. I'm like, well, that would be stupid, God, because I'm not thinking normally. I'm not feeling myself. And that there's something about his identity being that your identity isn't how you feel today. I've had so many times in worship over COVID where I stand on the truth that my identity isn't how I feel today. And that's who we are as a people. That's our DNA as followers of Jesus, that we stand on the reality of being sons and daughters, where it's not based on how I feel right now. If we get that one thing as a community, this city will adore us. The rest, the rest of culture is constantly trying to redefine who people are and give them false expectations, false hopes, and false dreams, and false standards of what it is to be human. And the Imago Dei is that this is what it means. You're created in my image, and I love you just as you are. And everything you could ever give me and accomplish in your life is secondary to me declaring over you that you are a son or a daughter who is loved. That was the place that Jesus entered his ministry in baptism. You are my son. I had to hear that a few times. Receive it afresh today. You're a son. You're a daughter. Receive it. And the devil comes back at Jesus for his ultimate temptation. This is a real temptation, meaning that Jesus actually wasn't just like sitting there flippantly and then brushing the devil off. This was the most intense temptation that the Son of God ever experienced. And it went like this. 
For the second test, this is Luke 4, verses 5 to 7. The devil led him up and spread out all the kingdoms of the earth on display at once. Then the devil said, they're yours in all their splendor to serve you and your pleasure. I'm in charge of them all and can turn them over to whomever I wish. Just worship me and they're yours, the whole works. And you go, well, they weren't the devils. Well, kind of. In effect, they kind of were. When the devil came and was, was sentenced to his place on earth, he was able to roam to and fro, and he had authority in the earth. And when he came into the garden, he tempted Adam and Eve. He gained authority by them listening to the lies and coming into agreement with him. Because you always give authority to the person of your life who you will listen to. If you will listen to their lies, you've given them authority to have the voice over your life that you are under. And so he's coming into this place where the devil does have some shred of authority. And he's trying to twist the scriptures, twist his identity, twist how he's feeling. And he's trying to bring him into a place where ultimately what does the devil get out of it? He wants to be worshipped. If you'll just worship me, I know why you're here, Christ. I know why you're here. You're here to take back the keys of authority to this realm. And I'll give them to you right now if you'll just worship me. You know that I wanted worship. That was ultimately why the enemy fell, was he wanted to be worshiped. And what the Lord did is he said, I'm going to create those in my image, not you. Lucifer, you are not in my image. But I'm going to create these in my image who worship me by choice. And as they worship me by choice... They will co-labor. They will partner with me in the work of bringing my realm, my presence, my holiness, my righteousness down into this place of the earth. And they will have the duty of expanding it into every part of this world. And as they do that, I'm going to make you watch as they worship. And it is an issue of authority. And so Jesus is put to this position. He's like, he knows why he's here. He knows what he's going to have to go through. He's in the middle of a wilderness that is not fun. And he's tempted. He's really tempted. Could you actually imagine for a moment that this was a real temptation to Jesus? He didn't sin. He's actually tempted to take a shortcut. His response is this. He quotes Deuteronomy. You worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. He refused to worship that that did not earn his worship. If we will fix our eyes on one thing, and that is, I worship God by the Son of God, and I carry his spirit, and everything else in my life dictates on that reality. Then when we come into the realm of idolatry, we know what the standard is. It doesn't get complicated. It might get super difficult, but it's very simple. There's a line. There's true worship, and then there's not. Moses, Israel, they struggled in the wilderness. And the issue was always worship. The issue of worship always comes back to idols. Are you letting go or are you struggling? Jesus walked into the wilderness, completely surrendered, completely in trust. We see in Israel, they were kind of like kicking and screaming toddlers. 
They complained about everything. They complained about the food. They complained about the water. They complained about absolutely everything. And then they tried. They tried to fill their void by numbing it through. Maybe if we worship these other gods, we'll get some of the practical things that we really need. And then we think, in this day and age, that we can't resonate with that. We don't understand what it is that is vying for our worship. So what's an idol? I like how Tim Keller puts it. It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Now, how can you identify with these idols? And how can you tell if you're worshiping some kind of counterfeit God? Good question. Glad you asked. I need to keep moving. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. So what's a counterfeit God? Anything that is so central to your existence that should you happen to lose it or not have access to it or not be able to give your life towards it, something in your life would lose its worth. That's a counterfeit God. So what are some of these things? Safety. I, I started listing some of these off. Safety control, I realized, number one, has been exposed in my life. Trust and certainty. My dreams. A home. Kids. Jobs. Accomplishment. Approval. Being needed. Self-reliance. Comfort. Socially. Some, some things that aren't as easy to find. There are those that look for suffering. And they put suffering above God. Now, we, we know that even scriptural, it can, suffering can be holy. It can also be an idol. What does that look like? You know those friends that just always need to have a problem? Or they, they need to be hurting in some way in order to have purpose. Suffering can be an idol. Your image, your body, and how you look, or your vibe, that can be an idol. Your ideology can be an idol. A human being can be an idol. Your relationship can be an idol. Anything you're dependent on can be an idol. But here's, here's the thing that I felt really helpful. Think of it in terms of what you seek. Did you have that slide for the seek one? that has like power, approval, comfort, all that? Perfect. I know this is bad, but at least you can follow along. If you seek power, top left, which is what? Success, winning, and influence. Or if you seek approval, affirmation, love, relationship. Or if you seek comfort, privacy, lack of stress, freedom. Or if you seek control, which is self-discipline, certainty, certain standards. I think all of us have maybe a root of one of these four. Power, approval, comfort, control. Which one of these resonates most with you? Because if you seek power, your greatest nightmare is going to be humiliation. If you seek approval, your greatest nightmare is rejection. If you seek comfort, your greatest nightmare is stress and demands. And if you seek control, uncertainty is an absolute hell. I can, I can almost walk you through times in my last year where, where all of these things were somehow stirred up. Typically in life, you have an anchor one. You have one that's more profound or pronounced than another. Think for a moment um, what might be highlighted in your life under one of these. Just one. 
And it might be easier for you to go like, what's your greatest nightmare? Humiliation, rejection, stress, uncertainty? Because here's what happens to the people around you. If you seek power, the greatest temptation is for you to use people. If you seek approval, you're going to smother people. If you seek comfort, neglection. You seek control, condemnation. And then you can see your problem emotion for power, anger. Approval, cowardice. Comfort, boredom. Control, worry. This is just how the cycles of idolatry work in your life, in my life. Just let that just expose you a little bit. (laughs) This is a safe place because we're doing work, because we're hunting these things out so they can stop lying to you. Power is a liar. Approval is a liar. Comfort is a liar. Control is a liar. If we start there, then it's not a threat to remove those idols. It's a gift. It's a gift that can only come when you exchange it. You cannot add a gift from the Father while holding one of these. It works like this. holding on the power. And the Lord says, here's an alternative, son, to your power box. Take it. But you got to put that one down. I want you to imagine yourself actually doing that. Are you willing to put the box down? Because this has been the hardest thing in my life is to put the flipping box down so I can receive his gift. One of my favorite little stories that I heard in this podcast about idol hunting were these Franciscan friars that went out into the wilderness. And... They talked about how they did all these kind of things out in the wilderness that I can't do. And uh, they're, they're rappelling down cliffs and, and going through, you know, ravines and water and all this stuff. And, and at one point, and some of them have better skill levels than another, and they're, they're literally doing it in order to go out into the wilderness to press and push themselves and to in, develop an environment where they're dependent on one another to get through. And so they, they, they tell that this one friar who is, who is struggling, and they get to this ravine, and he's scared, and he's, he gets to that point, I can't, I can't do it, and the leader just looks at him, and he, and he goes, I think you can do it, but if you want to go around, you can, and so he has that moment, and he, 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 he takes the less dangerous path around, down in, and wades through the water, and there's this moment where they go, you can just feel the shame, the embarrassment, and a defeated heart. He knew he could do it. He gave in. 
And there was this powerful, holy moment because that was not the end of the hike. That was not the end of the wilderness. The wilderness will give you multiple opportunities because we serve a kind of God that isn't just into this one thing and you screw it up and you're screwed forever. The whole lesson of the wilderness was when an entire generation gives up on the invitation from God for a promised land. He goes, I will not let my family not have what I want to give them. So I will continue to take you through this wilderness until there's a generation that will say yes to my invitation. Why? Because I love you. And I love all the nations that are going to come through you. And you're not not going to the promised land because I hate you. It's because I cannot let my blessing crush you when you will not trust me when you worship the liar. He wants to put the box, but he has to replace the box that you're currently holding. But will you trust him? Will you trust his kindness? Will you trust his purposes? Will you surrender like Jesus showed us without hesitation? And if you hesitate the first time, I'm here to tell you that we live in a moment where he's probably giving you multiple chances. So this friar's going through, and he's embarrassed, and he's cold, and he's, he's full of shame. Ten minutes later, same exact scenario. They have to rappel down. And he does it. Why? You know, if he was just wandering out in the wilderness by himself, he probably would have gone home. But it was the environment. He had an environment of safety, of encouragement, and of brothers around him that spoke life on him, didn't condemn him when he fell, and were there for him when he was willing to step forward. That's the kind of family that we are to one another. Some of you feel so defeated, like you've completely screwed up and lost, and you feel like you're never going to get your life back on track. Let the wilderness speak to you to remind you that you have another invitation to trust him again, to do the hard things, to let people around you in an environment that's encouraging you to be able to do the things that you know that you really can do, but you don't feel like it's possible. And he stepped forward into that. And here was the thing that was so powerful. There was a moment on their drive home where that friar looked at his leader and he welled up with emotion in his eyes and he begged him this. He said, please, please, never let me choose to go in the water ever again. Never let me, what? Never let me take the easy way out again. Don't let me. Hold me accountable. Hold my life accountable. You saw that I could do it when I didn't feel like I could do it. I didn't feel like it today. He did it because of an environment of people that called him higher. That's the kind of people that we are. Call each other higher. It's time to call each other higher. It's the season of calling each other higher. All right, I need to land this thing. So, James, if you start coming up, that'll encourage me to do that. So here, here's what I want us to do. I want us to take away something. Take away a deeper desire 
for the invitation to struggle. The way of the life of the Christian is not one where we're just always trying to struggle. It's one where when we enter in and see the struggles, we step in. When we're led by the Spirit of God, because we know we have fully surrendered and we trust him. We've had this exchange where maybe we've had to make this exchange over and over and over again of the box that we're carrying that's weighing us down. And in order to carry his box, we've got to put it down. We have to put it down. Our invitation is a deeper desire to enter the struggle, number one. And number two, it's a trust test. The wilderness is always that place where uncertainty and risk exposes you. Just like in the garden, they're exposed. Sin enters in, it exposes you, it reveals shame, and the natural thing is I want to cover up. And the Father is always there saying, I'm willing to see you in your brokenness. I'll provide the covering. I'll cover your shame. If you'll let me see you. So the trust test is about leaning in. It's about leaning into the struggle, not tapping out. For me, it's been leaning in sometimes to the awkward exchanges as a leader. Even just telling someone, this is how this made me feel. I'm embarrassed. This made me feel this way when you did this or that. I didn't want to show that part. It doesn't, doesn't mean you have to get all emotional in front of it. It means that you are aware of your stuff and what the Lord has put in your hands and you're willing to step and press and lean in. Don't tap out. Number three, there's a strength in this kind of environment. There's a strength. We are building an environment together. It's the most beautiful invitation that we get to be part of is every time someone walks in, whether it's a Sunday, whether it's a Thursday night, whether it's a, it's a meal at your house, there's something that's been developed by a familial environment where a culture's been established that's imperfect, but has been sanctified with this realm of heaven that's more like heaven than other parts of earth. And people are drawn to it. Why? Because they have been created in his image. The Imago Dei tells them in their humanity that this is normal for them. What has been told of them that's normal, that has been said is a standard of their life of what they're shooting for, all of a sudden they're coming into an environment that says, this is a new kind of normal for your life. Would you like to taste this? Would you just like to hang out? And can I introduce you to some people that are going to draw you higher, that are going to put you in positions that you're going to find out things about yourself that you didn't believe were possible, where you're going to make an exchange of these things that are ruining your life with lies, and they're going to be replaced with things that's going to suck, it's going to hurt, it's going to struggle, but it's so good. Let me tell you about my life. Let me just tell you about these things that I struggled with for years, and all of a sudden I realized I could let it go. I could trust him. Let me show you the reconciliation that happened in my family, in my marriage, with my kids, with my neighbor. It's the kind of people we are. A deeper desire, a trust test, and strength in the environment. Would you just tell somebody else an area where you feel weak that you want to be made strong? Do it today or do it this week. Where is a weakness where you need strength? Let the wilderness kill your idols.
Come out of the hiding and call forth each other's true identity. Can we stand? Let's just pray into this. Put something of an idol before you, something that you've been worshiping, something that you seek with your life, power, approval, comfort, or control. Put that before you. Envision it in a box that you're carrying. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to envision not just putting that box aside. Well, there's two options. You can put the box aside or you can destroy the box. I'll be real honest. It might not be possible to destroy the box today. The goal is to destroy that box. But will you start with putting it down? And then pursue destroying that box with the rest of your life. It's easier when you're holding his, when you're holding his exchange, when you're holding his gift to you. <laughs> we receive that picture, Holy Spirit. We receive it. We receive it. We receive it. We receive it. Put your hand on your heart again and say, Father, wherever I just don't feel like I can let go. Or maybe there's just a cloud and you're just like, I don't even know what it is. I just know that, that I need more of you, God. I just know that there's something in an environment. I'm, I'm wounded. I'm dry. I'm, I'm weak. I just need more of you. That's okay. If nothing else makes sense to you today, you're in an environment where there's people around you that are connecting with the spirit of the living God. That's why that when we gather corporately, it's not the only gathering. We go into the secret place when it's just us and the Lord. But when we come together corporately, there's an environment here where there's things that are accessible because there is an atmosphere where the spirit of God is communing and interacting with multiple people. And so all of a sudden there are these moments where we can just say, maybe I can surrender here. There's something about being here that I can surrender. Maybe that's your invitation today. Just, just a fresh place of trust. God, I trust you. I don't even know what I need to trust you with. But I realize that there is a deeper level of trust because I've been lied to in my life and I'm living under the weight of that lie, of that idol-worshiping lie, and I don't want it anymore. We say yes to that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I just see fog being lifted off of people. I just keep seeing that people are able to see, see who they are, seeing identity, seeing over other people, and calling it forth when you make that holy exchange. Lent is not a season of fog. It's a season of clarity. When you repent, when you turn from the way that you're going into the fog and you come towards the light, you always see more clearly. It's the best feeling in the world. It's the best feeling in the world. Father, we receive that right now in Jesus' name. Fresh eyes and fresh strength. And as we worship, I'm going to invite James to lead us. I just want to invite, if you, just take a step forward. I know we don't have limited space, but just an act of saying, if you've got an idol that's been highlighted, that you want to get breakthrough in some way today, and you want to make that holy exchange afresh with the Father, just step forward in worship. And we invite some people, if you want to pray over some people, just don't do face-to-face. -face, kind of come in behind and, and lay hands and, and, uh, and pray. 
everybody's a ministry team today, but the, the, the first invitation is, will you step forward? And will you worship with the intent, hunting out those idols, knowing that you're being called higher? You're being called higher. You're being called higher. And this is the way of life. This is the normal. This is the environment where people are reminded of who they really are.